0: What a wonderful, wonderful connective ministry community uh, here at Faith Fellowship uh, with Lifeline. Well, we are in session three. I have to keep counting. Now, how many is this? And so let's warmly welcome Nate Garrett. You woke up in the darkness this morning over I did. each side. Yeah, I did uh, power failure over there. Did any of you have power failure? In- just my hotel. Yeah. Okay. All right. We arranged that. Yeah. Yes. Well, the generator was, I'm glad the generator was working for the elevator because I'm on the 11th floor and I was, I was just thinking about that long walk down. I don't normally wear, I don't normally try to look snazzy like pastor Jeff, so I thought I'll be a little hotter carrying all my stuff. And then the elevator is working. So they could have given me a little power for just the light of my bathroom. It would have been nice, but, Praise God. Well, but it welcome. was fine. We're Thank glad. you very much. <clears throat> well, I know this morning God called some people in this church to prayer for what God wanted to do here today. And the prayer team gathered and they anointed chairs and prayed and blew a shofar and I had ideas of what I was going to do in the morning when my alarm went off and they involved breakfast downstairs (laughs) and God had other plans and in the darkness with just being able to look at the sun starting to come in the window, he said, you're going to spend this time with me and you're going to pray about the service. And I don't know what he's doing and why he's gathering his people to pray and, shutting down only my power so that I can do the same thing and to get some texts out to people that I know are prayer warriors. But this room has been prepared. I feel like God's prepared my heart to bring a message this morning. And I would just wonder how many hearts have come in prepared. I don't know. I know coming to church in a vehicle with your family is not always the most preparation to come to the throne of grace. And if you ever looked at your kids and been like, all right, everyone's gonna smile, we're getting out now. <laughs> then you might be a church goer, right? I wanna take a few moments right where you are, and this might be the weirdest thing. If you're a if you're brand new guests, you can observe if you'd like to. Um, but I'd like to ask that if you're physically able to do so, that you would get out of your chair and use your chair as an altar on your knees and that we just take a few moments to ask God to do in us what he wants to do today. That might be a scary thing. If you're like, you know what? I came in and I want to do church as usual. I want to do life as usual. I don't want to, I don't want to take it out of here and do anything. Then absolutely stay in your seat and, and don't participate in this part. And if you're not physically able to get down on your knees, I totally understand that. Pray right where you are. But just for the next few moments, if there's unconfessed sin that might hinder you from, from hearing from God today, if you just need a fresh touch from God today, and it's been a while since you've nurtured that relationship with him, it's not because he's went anywhere, but you know how we tend to drift. Then ask God for that, give him Areas of your life that are currently unsurrendered. And you might think, Pastor, this is backwards. You do the invitation at the end. Um, We're going to prepare our hearts now. Because sometimes, even if you read the instructions on the frozen pizza, and you think, well, I'm just going to, it says 16 minutes. I don't want to wait around to preheat the oven. I'm going to go ahead and throw it in and... I'm going to hit 16. The way my oven works is it won't start the actual time until the preheat is done. And so I've just put it in for several minutes longer. And we have taken out some odd-looking black Frisbees before <laughs> because we, w- we didn't prepare the oven so that we could go through the process. And so I want to take just a few moments to prepare our hearts to hear what God might want to say to us his word today. If you would, if you're able to, if you would use that chair as an altar. I don't know if there's some kind of soft music we can play in the background just to alleviate distractions. If there's not, that's fine. Um, Just deal with God for the next few moments. as you continue to pray, there might be somebody on your heart that God's bringing to your mind. As you're praying and you're praying for them, if if they're in this room, I want you to feel the freedom to get up and to go pray over that person. Maybe you know they're dealing with some sickness right now. Maybe maybe you've got a a hitch in your relationship with them and you'd just like to, to pray for them and to let them know you care. Please feel the freedom to do that if God's laying that on your heart as well. Maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking, Boy, I feel so far from God right now. I don't have that, that closeness that I once had. And you're trying you're struggling for the very words to say, and you, you might want somebody to come and pray with you or pray over you. If that's the case, just, just slip your hand up. There are, there are prayer team members in here. If, if somebody has their hand up, I'll say, hey, we need a prayer team person over there. And one of them will come over to you and they'll, they'll pray with you and they'll care. <laughs> they care. They already prayed for the chair you're sitting in. They care for the person sitting in it. Is there anybody who'd say, I need, I need somebody to lay hands on me and just pray over me. I'm going through something and I need, I need prayer doesn't have to be over sin. It can be over just needing a fresh touch from God. Father, you are great and greatly to be praised. Lord, we thank you for what you're doing in our hearts. We pray that you would weed out the thorns and the stones and make soft the footpath, that we'd have good soil ready to receive the seeds of your word this morning. Lord, that you would show us this next step on the path that you have for us in this race we call the Christian life. We pray that you would speak to us in a new and fresh way with ears open to hear it, that we wouldn't just have ears that don't perceive, but that we would hear, that we would listen for what you want to tell us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now, in in way of review, and I I don't think I have this up there, and that's okay. You've heard this over and over this weekend. If you've been here maybe for the first time and you can follow along, Um, I'm not going to lean as much into our passage in the first service as I am in the second service today. But I do want to bring you up to speed with where we are so far. In Philippians 3, 3, 12 through 14, it says... This is Paul talking, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, which is hopefully what we were just doing with our hearts, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And we talked about the fact that it's Christ who took hold of us first. And we, and we continued on. The, the, verse 16 says, only let us hold true to what we have attained. He says, I haven't attained it, but yet let me live up to what I have attained. And we, we talked yesterday, yesterday evening, that we have to become what we've been declared to be. We've got to start that sanctification process where God's going to take us to be like he's already called us to. He's given us the title of son or daughter of God. And now it's the training process to know how to handle being part of the royal family. And today we're going to talk about the focus that comes with running a race. In 1 Corinthians 9 verse 24 Paul writes to the church of Corinth do you not know that in a race he's got this theme have I don't know if you've noticed Paul likes to talk about races i don't know if he's one of those athletes who you know never really made it you ever heard that guy you know i was going to play pro but then i twisted my ankle you know that kind of thing like if he if he had an athletic past or not we don't know that about paul but if he, if he if you like to you know, kind of think of, wow, if this could only happen, but he saw this as an analogy for the Christian life, that we're in this thing and that it's not always easy. And God's got stuff in front of us that we can't see coming, but he knows it's down the path. And if we don't walk with him and if we don't allow his light to shine on our path, we're going to get tripped up. We're going to get messed up. You ever watch the Survivor shows where they drop people into areas like alone and things like that, and sometimes they uh, they don't have shoes or whatever. Whatever, um, some of the shows I don't think they have anything, but you know, like they they they're walking on burrs and thorns and all kinds of stuff. And it wouldn't it be helpful to to have a guide? I don't know what scenario I would ever be in where I get to choose one item to you know. You ever played the Desert Island game where you? Can, you take this like, you know, you can take one movie or one book for the rest of your life. And I'm thinking, if I have electricity to plug in a TV with, some, with a Blu-ray player, I think I'm bringing like a griddle. Why in the world would I pick a movie? Anyways, but Paul is saying that there's a lot of hazards that are coming down the path and having Jesus, having somebody who's already walked that path who's already been through what we have been through is extremely helpful. Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Now this is an analogy here. What Paul's not saying is, all right, Christians, only one of you is getting into heaven. (laughs) You know, in a race, there's only one winner. So you better be working hard. That's not what he's saying. He's just saying, look, don't just get in a race to try to place. And I know that's not in the, in the mindset of modern races that we do, because we do marathons, not just short sprints and stuff. And in short sprints, you want to be the one who is first. And you're like, did you, did, you, did you win? Like in a sprint, and you got six people across there, and they're on their little blocks and everything, and they go. And you're not like, well, I finished. Isn't that good? Not in a sprint. Like, why would you not finish? I mean, there's there's only a variety of circumstances where you didn't finish. Like you're running a hundred yard dash and all of a sudden at 80, you're like, I'm tapping out, tapping out. Like in marathons, how many of you have ran a marathon or half marathon or a zombie 5K or something, you know, in your life? I thought about doing one of those one time. I thought if I was a zombie, I just stay in one little area. You know, I wouldn't really have a lot of running. I'd just be harassing the runners. Like, ah, ah. Go over to the snack station and stuff and, oh, no brains, you know, anyways. uh, But some of you guys have ran, where are those hands again? You've ran at least a 5K, all right? All right, couch to 5K, anybody done that program? You're like, yeah, I made it to the Ottoman. I got my feet up. No, then I dropped out of the program in marathons is different. I've got a brother-in-law who runs marathons and he's ran ultra marathons and he's ran a I think 3 now through 4. 4. He didn't finish one of them. 100 mile races. That's that's not even good for you. That's like if you heard kale was good for you and you only ate kale for the rest of your life. <laughs> like this it's not that good, you know, like you need a you need a balance. Like he's so like the beginning of the race, he looked like he was in shape. He's, a, he's a, a personal trainer and everything. The end of the race, it looked like he had had cancer for several years. And he had lost toenails. I don't mean like somewhere on the track, you know, like, but they're in his, they're still in the sock. How uncomfortable is that? You ever stepped on a, my wife likes to clip her toenails in the, in the bathtub and then rinse them down. They don't always get rinsed out or in the shower. And if you step on a toenail, It's like nature's Lego. Anyways, I'm just saying, woo, he's lost toenails. He he has had all kinds of health complications. The last time he dropped out of a race, it's because he actually had gone to the bathroom and there was blood. And, And so at the next station he told them, and they said, you need to drop out. They thought his kidneys were about to fail. So when he's serious, he's serious. But what you don't ask somebody when they run a marathon or a hundred mile race is, did you win? Like you do with a sprint. Because the, just the running it is important, the finishing of the race. Whether you place 35 or 100, you got through it because most people don't get through it at all. Paul's analogy, he's more talking about those sprints than he is the other, even though life is obviously a marathon. Back then, the person who would be heralded as the, the great guy, and even today, if you win a marathon or something, you're going to be the one who it says runner's magazine covers and all that kind of stuff, and you're going to maybe get sponsored by whatever sponsoring running things right now, um, body armor or something, and, and that's, going to be, that's going to be great. He's not saying that only one person gets in. He's saying run, whether it's a marathon or a sprint, Like you have a chance of winning. Don't get the mindset of, well, what's your goal today? My goal is to finish. That's a great start. If you're in the faith and you've you've accepted Jesus Christ, I hope your goal is to finish. I hope your goal is to finish strong. But Paul says, run like you have a chance to be the one. Like with Jesus, if Jesus gave us an end goal to do something, Let's try to do that thing. He did, by the way, Matthew 24. He said when this gospel, when they, I mean, they were asking him about the end times. You've never wondered about the end times, you know. Can we do a class in the end? Nobody cares about that. No, everybody does, you know. They're like, when are we going to do a series on Revelation? And, um, and we're like, uh, when Jesus comes back. I'm just kidding. No, because but, but there's a lot of difficult stuff in there, and, and people disagree about the allegory and the symbolism and all that kind of stuff. And and we wonder, but his disciples were no different. They're like, what's the sign of your coming gonna be? When are you gonna restore the kingdom of Israel? When's the world gonna end? And they're always asking questions like this. Jesus tells them all kinds of stuff. He says, there's gonna be wars and rumors of wars. That's not the end. Nation will rise against nation, but the end is not yet. I'm imagining them, especially Peter, leaning in every time like, ah, ah, ah. He says, then this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the ends of the earth. Then the end will come. And I know most likely that me, Nate, is not gonna be sitting with the last person who accepts Christ somewhere in the world. I know that. But I tell myself it might happen. is it might be 100 years from, I don't know when Jesus is coming back. But if everybody says, well, I'm not gonna be able to lead the last person to Jesus, so I might as well just stand around and not do any. Then it won't get done. Run as if you're the one who's going to pray with the last person to usher in the return of Christ. How cool would that be? That guy says amen, and you hear trumpets, and it's not the shofar from here, it's the shofar from there, and you're like, what is happening? Clouds open. I mean, that, Paul's saying run as if to obtain. The prize. The prize that we can't obtain here, but it's as if we already have it because we're presently seated in the heavenlies. The whole mystery of God saying, you've got a reserve spot and you've got a Holy Spirit that is the deposit of the inheritance that you are to receive. In Matthew 25, Jesus shares a parable and at the end of it, it's, it hearkens to what we Hope to hear from God one day when we stand before him. I don't hope to hear, oh, you made it. Whew. <laughs> it was touch and go there for a while. Like, no, no. I mean, no. And you, That's not what I mean. I don't mean God was going to be like taking it back or anything. But like where he's like, Whew. you know the three groups of people in heaven? Have you heard that before? There's the, the people that you're surprised to see that are there. And There's the people that aren't there. Well, they're not really a group in heaven, but that you thought would be there, but then there's a big group of people who are surprised to see you. (laughs) We want Jesus to look at us and say what this master said to his servant. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Come on in, I am so glad you finished well. You ran through that ribbon at the end. We've got Gatorade ready for you and so forth. And how many of you did the ultra? Anybody done the ultra marathon? It's a few people. I don't know how many long, how many miles or kilometers. Or, can we not just do miles in this country? Can we, do we have to, are there a lot of British people entering the races we have here? Like what is, I'm just kidding. Um, who's ran a marathon? What's that, 26 miles or something like that? Or, or, or what is that, 500K? I don't know. I'm just kidding. Yes, back there. How many miles is it? That's miles. You know how many K? I don't either. I mean, I know how many K's Nolan Ryan had. That's, that's strikeouts. So, but I don't have any idea what the other. Um, 26.2 miles. I'm glad we stopped there. We're like, 20, we should make it 27. Let's just do like 26.2. I, I know there's a, there's a thing to it. The actual original marathon that somebody ran from one city to the other or whatever. I've, I've read that before. I don't know all the details or I would share it with you. But, um, yeah, that's a lot of miles, right? And, and my brother-in-law says, I don't know if this was true when you ran yours. Was it recent? Has it been a bit? Um, he said that further into the race, they stop giving you water at the, at the stations. And they start giving you, like, uncarbonated Coca-Cola. Did they do that for you? Like in some of the, like the hundred mile race, I know for sure they, they give him soda that has no soda in it. Like it has no, no bubbles or anything because the, you have to have sodium and you have to have sugar and everything. And I knew at that moment, that's the part of the race I could do. It's, <laughs> it's like, I got this. Mm, I'll see you at the next station. Get in the golf cart, you know, um, You know, Proverbs says only the wicked run when no one is chasing, but that's out of context. So, he is not speaking of exercise, all right. Jesus, again, what I said on Friday night, Jesus always sets the example for us, always goes through that. I wanna look at a passage in Mark today um, that starts in Mark chapter four and goes into Mark chapter five that shows the precision at which Jesus ran his race. He wanted to make sure that on his journey to the cross, which is the purpose for which he came here, Jesus could have chose to die for us in any method. Think about this for a second. What if Jesus, because it was going to be capital punishment, by the government. And it was going to be because he claimed to be the Messiah, right? The Magi make it to King Herod. The Magi say to King Herod that we've come to see the King of the Jews. The same thing that would be above Jesus's cross. King Herod says, I don't want there to be a King of the Jews. I'm the King of the Jews. He doesn't say that to them. He's like, Ooh, tell me where he is and we'll worship him together. Herod could have went to a lot of our churches, but he didn't have the heart for God, right? That's another sermon for a different day. He puts the death penalty on Jesus, but he doesn't know where Jesus is because the wise men are warned in a dream not to go back to Herod. So he starts having the baby boys, two and younger, killed around the area of Bethlehem. And Jesus could have, if the prophecies hadn't said otherwise, if the prophecies had been about him dying there, he could have died for your sins right there. And the shepherds who had visited him and were already telling people, could have been told by the angel to go spread that message that Jesus had come as a baby and he had been killed because he was the Messiah and we could be made free. And he would raise from the dead three days later. But for some reason, God chose to do it exactly how he did it and prophecies that would lead up to what actually happened. And he stayed on the earth for 33 years. He respected even the customs of the day by waiting until 30 years old to be a rabbi. And then he called his disciples to himself and he showed us how to run the race right and then died for us. Like we can't forget the process in the fact that we celebrate so much as Christians and even the reason why we're we're not only worshiping on Saturday now and we worship on Sunday is because Jesus Christ finished his race. He said it is finished on the cross. He essentially ran through the tape at the end of the race and completed the race. And then he came back to celebrate. But we get to see that race lived out. And so it wasn't just about getting to the cross. And just getting to the cross. And we heard in here um, last night, if you heard the youth and children's message that Pastor Ann Shared, just right at the beginning of his ministry, they tried to kill him. And God didn't allow it to happen. Jesus said, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down willingly. He was going to go to the cross. That was his mission. That's where he was focused. But along that way, he was not just focused on one day, I'm going to save humanity at large for all who would believe. But he had divine appointments along the way that he wouldn't let anything derail. That's one that we're going to read about right now. You know, Jesus knows everything. And so, Jesus knows that what he wants to do on the other side of the lake, of the Sea of Galilee, is important. He also knows he's only going to be able to do one thing over there. He's going to meet one person over there, and then the people are going to tell him to leave. And he's going to respect their wishes and go back to where he started. I don't know that my faith is that strong if I knew in advance, in advance, that I was going to fly down here to find out there was some sort of storm or the power's out at the church or something like that and the conference was canceled. But I knew in advance that I'd get in a conversation where I could share what Christ has done in my life with somebody in the airport in Melbourne. Would I make that journey? I hope I could say yes. The disciples get in the boat thinking Jesus wants to do ministry on the other side. And he does, but just for one guy. And they're gonna go through all kinds of stuff to get to this one guy and then they're coming right back And that's the kind of race Jesus runs on a regular basis. He runs that on a regular basis. Let's look at this. And usually these are taught separately. So we're going to see them in conjunction together. Verse 35 of chapter 4. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, let's go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, where he could be doing more ministry, right? Right? Leaving the crowd they took him with them in the boat just as he was and other boats were with him just as he was that's an interesting phrase there he didn't get ready they're not going to go like rest and stuff it's just as he was and he was tired and we're going to find that out and other boats were with him and that's another one now, when i've seen this portrayed in like little kids cartoons and stuff it's just this one boat on the sea of Galilee there's other boats too they're all watching. I don't wonder how many people yelled from the other boat. Wake Jesus up. Where's Jesus? I'm on the wrong boat. You know, like I wonder how many people thought when the windstorm came up. It says that a great windstorm arose, the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. There's water sloshing back and forth. And you'd think of somebody sleeping somewhere in that boat. They're like, you know, like I mean, there's water in the boat, but Jesus, much like Obi Wan, had the high ground. That's the only Star Wars reference I'm going to do this week. I didn't think I'd do any, but it just came to me. He was in the stern asleep on the cushion, so he had got up on this nice cushion and everything. Jesus, Jesus, I mean, he he roughed it a lot, but there was a cushion on the boat, and he was like, "I'm tired. I'm sleeping right here." He gets on the cushion. They woke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? Like, are you kidding me? How can you sleep through this? Any wives ever said that to their husband? Like, He's like, good morning, how'd you sleep? And you're like, not a wink. And just looking at you, getting a good night's sleep made me angry. That's not your story? That's just a testimony? All right, so. Don't you care that we're perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. The wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why were you so afraid? Have you no faith? They didn't get out of it unscathed. After he rebuked the wind, he rebuked the disciples. Don't you have faith? If you can look at me and I look calm, you're probably gonna be all right. Jesus was aware of the storm that was coming. His faith in his father and the Holy Spirit being on him and the fact that he had control over the wind and the waves. This was not a normal thing because they could handle most of these. These are experienced fishermen there was something strange about this storm that they thought they were gonna die. I wonder if they like put each other up to waking up Jesus too. You wake him up, no, you wake him up. I mean, Jesus is power. Maybe he's just having a bad dream and that's where the storm came from. (laughs) You know, like what is, they wake Jesus up and he does rebuke them as well. And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and sea obey him? You see there that they, they didn't wake him up in complete faith, did they? they? They knew they need Jesus, but they had no idea how much. Because when he actually saves them from it, they're like, I didn't know he could do that. Wow. Hmm. I thought I could be like, make sure I make it to heaven or something like, can I come with you? Like, this is it. Those poor guys in the other boats, what were they thinking? What are we gonna do? We're gonna die. And they're like, I don't even see Jesus over there. See everybody trying to get water out of the boat. Maybe he fell in. Like, what? would that really matter when you could walk on it? Now Jesus is sleeping on the waves. Do you even care that we're You know, I'm just kidding. All right. They came to the other side, chapter five, of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes, And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. Okay, so this is where we get into something interesting. How did he know Jesus was coming there? This guy we're going to read stayed in the tombs all the time. He stated people didn't bother him. they chained him. He could break the chains with demonic power. I mean, this was crazy. And maybe not just demonic power. You know, demons don't care about people. If we didn't feel any pain or or wanted to get through something, you could break a lot more. If you were zip tied, you could break a lot more than you think you can. But we stop because it hurts. And the demon doesn't care about the person that he's possessing. And so he just keeps going. The guy was probably mangled and soared and everything from all the things that the demon had put him through. But he met him right there. Something happened at the mouth of that cave that drew the demon's attention to the fact that Jesus was on his way. You don't think the demoniac saw the storm brewing? There are some scholars who believe the storm might have even been demonically influenced to stop Jesus from coming over there. Now you might think, wait a minute, do they have that kind of power? When when God allows, some pretty strange things happen. God didn't bring down fire from heaven in the book of Job. Satan did, but God allowed it. There were a, a windstorm that knocked a house down on Job's kids. Satan did that. And that this came up. There are some scholars who believe that that was an attempt by the armies of evil to keep Jesus from going over there and setting this man free. And Jesus came over anyway. He sit there like, Jesus is coming. He gets warned by another demon. It's like, I'd like to see him try. Look at this storm brewing, whether it was from them or not. Jesus knew the storm was there. Sermon for another day for a second. Jesus led his disciples into it anyway. You're going through a storm. You're going through something tough. God knew it was coming, and he knew he would be enough to get you through. Have faith. I may look like I'm sleeping, but I'm fully aware of the situation. Just because you're not hearing from me at the moment doesn't mean that I am not locking arms ready to walk through this with you, if you'll just lean on me. Again, sermon for another day. But they get over there, and here this man meets them. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart. He broke the shackles in pieces. No one had strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar off, he ran and fell down before him. And crying with a loud voice, he said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I love that they're always giving away who he is. If you want to know who Jesus really is, just ask a demon. Don't really do that. But if you see, they're always outing it. They're like, Jesus, son of David. They know who he is. They can't help but announce the truth in front of him. It's almost like they're compelled to just yell it out. Everybody who declares the name of Jesus isn't necessarily a follower of Jesus. Everybody who believes that Jesus rose from the dead is not necessarily a follower of Jesus. The demons believe and tremble. It's taking our faith off of ourselves and placing it in him that makes us new. When Jesus saw him from afar off, oh, I read that part, I'm sorry. What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you or I beg you by God, do not torment me. Now, this is in other accounts as well, where it says, don't cast us into the abyss, Like, have you come to test us before the time? Like, they know at the end there's a time when it's going to be over for us. We're not winning this thing. Don't take me. Don't sideline me. I'm still trying. Like, come on. How'd you even find me over here? I mean, that's that, that mentality. But he knew he couldn't run. He sees the storm. He sees Jesus far off. He doesn't run the other way. He runs to Jesus as if he knows that there's no something. something, We can learn a lot of lessons from demons sometimes. Jonah didn't know this. You can't run from God. The demon is well aware of not just the abiding presence of Jesus with his disciples, but the omnipresence of Jesus. And he he wasn't going to get far. And Jesus didn't need to be beside him to cast him out either. If he had ran the other way, He might be running and all of a sudden find himself running outside of a human body. He said, I jeer you by God, don't torment me. For he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. This is very interesting too, and something I didn't notice multiple times when I have studied this passage. That Jesus had already been saying, walking up to him. Come out of him, you unclean spirit. Well, the spirit doesn't just automatically come out of him either. They start having a conversation. And it's not, at the, it's not saying that Christ's power was limited there. But he's announcing his intentions as he comes up. I know why I'm over here. I know why we came through the storm. And I know what you, you're trying to do to keep me from doing that. And here I am. I'm going to cast you out and Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. It sounds like something Smeagol, Gollum, you know, like Lord of the Rings would say, like, it burns, suspicious." You know, like, I mean, I just imagined Legion talking a lot like him. He said, we are Legion, for we are many. Now, many scholars say there's probably about a thousand demons in there because a the Roman Legion had a thousand. But they kind of work for the father of lies. They could have been exaggerating. In a few moments, we're gonna see they were cast into 300 pigs. Now, there could be multiple demons in each pig or whatever, or maybe there was far less than 1,000 and they just like to brag. But either way, if there were 1,000 or 300 or somewhere in between, or 12,000 or 20,000, Jesus could cast them out. There's nothing beyond what he can do. Now, a great herd They they begged him earnestly, do not send us out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him saying, send us into the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission. They thought they were bargaining. This is a two bird with one stone scenario. There's a group of people who aren't supposed to be eating pigs, who are herding pigs. And Jesus is like, the pork industry is going to take a dip. Just a little one. They were trying to, I don't know if they were eating them or not, but they were raising them and selling them, and they were, they were skirting around what they were supposed to be doing, trying to, you know, kind of play church in a way, but not really be totally involved in what they believed. To bring it into modern context, he gives them permission. The unclean spirits came out, entered the pigs and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea in the first ever mass suicide. I stole that from Greg Laurie. All right. That was the first time swine flew. All right. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and the people came to see what had happened. I think they're talking about seeing the man healed of this that used to be the one that they couldn't chain. They weren't coming to watch floating pigs. That would be a little demented. Okay. As he was getting, and then they begged Jesus to depart from their region. They were so scared about what had happened. The guy they used to be scared of is no longer scary, but they're scared about the guy who can do that. Those townspeople who just arrived I think what drew them there in the first place was not this guy leaving the tombs. They wouldn't have heard that. The massive storm that's affecting the area that's causing them to batten down the hatches at home, just gone, sun, nothing. They start walking out towards the Sea of Galilee and they find this man standing with his disciples and the guy who's in tattered clothing in his right mind, and not trying to hurt anybody. They begged him to leave the area. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had, possessed, had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. and He did not permit him, but he said, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and everyone marveled. There are those times where we just love being around the church, right? We love it. And we're like, I just, this is it. This is my new family. I'm gonna be with these guys forever. I there's people cut ties, I'm good. And Jesus is like, wait a second. I want you to go back home to your friends Tell them how much the Lord has done for you. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you. See, my my experience in in the church world, you know, I was there nine months before I was born listening to sermons. I didn't know was amen, but that's what it was. My experience is we love this community so much. And I see this sweet spirit of fellowship and community here too. Like I do in my church back home. And we get into these groups of people who we do life with and everything. And sometimes we can always be so close to those that are still out there or those that are coming in that God's bringing into your midst that he has readied you in this part of the race to be that one to disciple them. Do you know, and big events are great, do you know this? if you were to bring a speaker in, like say me or somebody else, probably somebody else for this scenario, cause this is really impactful. <laughs> and we were to fill up a, a stadium with a thousand, oh, excuse me, 100,000 people, 100,000 people, twenty thousand, one fifth come to Christ that day. And the next day we fill it with a new 100,000 people and we have the same results kind of like the revivals we're seeing popping out everywhere. We're like, well, we got to keep doing this. And we do this every day. And 20,000, sure enough, every day come to Christ. We would think this is the greatest thing since sliced bread. To reach the 8 billion people on this planet and see them converted and come to Christ and start to become disciples, it would take one 1,000 years with that method and 20,000 people coming to Christ today. If you as an individual, and when I heard these stats, it rocked my world. It rocked my world. If you as an individual would just lead one person to Christ and walk with them for a year, a new believer not somebody in your inner circle of people who love to discuss the the intricacies of God in your Sunday school group or your your home group or or just some people you meet for coffee with, but a new believer and disciple them for a year and teach them how to disciple somebody else. Like Paul said in 2 Timothy 2.2, when he said, the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to others who will be able to teach and trust a reliable people who will be able to teach others. He had these four layers of me, you, other people, other people make disciples, make disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. That was Paul's mantra. And if you would do that for a year and teach them to do the same in that second year, you found another person and you do the same thing and, and that started trickling down. I know you might be like, is that a pyramid scheme? yes. Yes, it is, with way better benefits. 34 years, 8 billion people would be reached. Sometimes in our event-driven church culture, we can forget as individuals that if we're going to see this happen, the church has to be the church. It's not all on the pastor's their job's to equip you for the work of the ministry. And if at some point we're like, no, this is enough. I'm where I need to be. I'm enjoying this. We get really comfortable. And I want you to be comfortable. I'm glad there's coffee in the lobby. But if, when it comes to (laughs) aim bed for the coffee, I don't understand the decaf, but whatever, you know, like. When it comes to the great commission, I want you to feel a little uncomfortable. This can't just be for us. It's one beggar showing another beggar where to find the bread. I found it. How could I just come into the bakery and hang out with other people who had found it every day? Smell that smell, you smell in only a bakery when there's other people starving spiritually in the world. I'm not gonna do an invitation today. We kind of did that at the beginning. I'm gonna do it at the end of the second service. You're completely off the hook, all right? Completely off the hook. I want that to sit with you, to resonate with you. What can you specifically do differently to start discipling somebody one-on-one? And maybe you think, well, maybe I'm not not a new enough Christian, I mean, a, a seasoned enough Christian to do that. What can you do specifically to find somebody in this church who's further down the path than you running that race and go up to them and initiate it and say, Could we meet for coffee? I really want to grow deeper. Maybe we've got to go the opposite way to see it really take hold. It's to say new believers, find a seasoned Christian and ask them to help you. I meet with with a guy once a week that I'm mentoring and discipling. And I meet with a guy once a week that's mentoring and discipling me. Every week. And in these 10 weeks, I don't do the whole year thing because I'm meeting with believers who have never really become part of the discipleship process, haven't been discipled fully to understand that. So I've been doing these 10-week meetings with people. And then by the end of that 10 weeks, on the eighth week, they start their overlap meeting with somebody else and they go through it as well. I've, I've done five so far. My pastor's already went through 18. And you don't have to have a program to do that. Just intentionality. Saying if we were all ready to go out and reach, to look around and reach and disciple and equip, I wouldn't just be reading about Asbury in the news. People would be flocking to Melbourne and to Mooresville, where I'm at and to all of the cities that would get what it means to take the gospel to everyone before the end comes. Let me pray for you. God, I thank you so much for each person here, Lord. You are the God of all comfort, but Lord, we ask that in these these moments where we may be convicted over something that we would rest for a moment in the uncomfortableness of being out of your will when it comes to equipping. The intentionality of you, Lord, to go all the way across through a storm, to reach one guy, knowing you were just gonna come right back to where you started, blows my mind. May we step into divine appointments this week And to know it's worth it to have that conversation. It's worth it to look around us and to question the comfortability that we've stepped into when it comes to our own discipleship. Am I just going to learn facts until you call me home? Or am I gonna put feet to my faith and step out? Even if I know it might be through storms. So we praise you today, Lord. We ask that you would bless the next service as well. Thank you for these people, your children, and for those that have yet to come in to the fold who are watching this Christian thing. Let them look past us and see you. In Jesus' name, amen.